I'm Dagny Forrest, a member of the editorial and podcast teams here at Painted Bride Quarterly. Slushies, we have a treat for you. We're always moving forward, finding new voices and new work from more established but evolving voices. This summer, while our podcast team is dispersed, we're reissuing a couple of episodes from poets who've really been making their mark. Going through the significant back catalog of episodes was great fun and an education for me, and I love earmarking a few for re-release. Number 19, the dinosaur robot episode from six years back, was devoted to two poems by Sarah Kane Gutowski. Flash forward to 2023, and Sarah is preparing to appear at the New York City Poetry Festival at the end of July. Sarah will read a poem and be interviewed as part of an appearance with the monthly poetry show, There's a Lot to Unpack Here. Sarah also has a new book of poetry, The Familiar, coming out from Texas Review Press in spring 2024. I'm certain you'll find much to relish in this episode. I'll leave you with the opening lines of the second poem our team discussed. Chapter 7, She Grows a Second Heart. That night, she woke to find another oddity. During sleep, her heart had split or twinned itself, and where one muscle pumped before, now beat two. Her blood coursed through her veins twice as fast as before, and over those paths her skin buzzed and stammered like wire strung tautly between two poles and charged with load. Painted Bride Quarterly's Lush Pile podcast. Feels like it's been a while since we did one, but I guess we're still doing them every other week. I have my sexy back in my voice, and um, I wish I could say it was something like really exciting, like, I don't know. I don't know. I have a hookah problem or something. <laughs> really? I think it's just sweat and air conditioning, sweat and air conditioning, sweat. And I think that pattern has finally caught up with me, so... Excuse my raspiness. I can maybe take it down an octave. <laughs> oh, that does sound so sexy. I, I, I like the saunter. Like, okay, I'll try to go that way. So we're um, here in McAllister in our cinder block room um, rather than down the studio again, but it's okay. Uh, we're we're mo- motoring along here. Um, I'd like to uh, go around the table and see who's here today. There's me. We'll start with me. I'm Kathleen Volkmiller. I'm an essayist and uh, director of the graduate program here in publishing. And um, that's all I'll say about me. And to my left is... Hi, I'm Lauren Patterson. I'm a recent Drexel grad um, and a former PBQ editorial co-op. My name is Tim Fitz, and I've been reading for the Panda Bride Quarterly for about three years now, and I teach at Temple, Drexel, Penn State, story <laughs> <laughs> writer, and novelist. Woohoo! And I'm Caitlin McLaughlin. I am the digital communications co-op for Drexel Publishing Group. This is my last week, um, which yeah. is sad. And I've been reading with PBQ for about nine months, and I'm an English major. Yes, indeed. Okay, and out there in the wider world, we have um, Jason up in New York. Hi, I am coming to you from my office in Tribeca. Um, I am associate editor at Painted by Quarterly. I think I've been part of the staff for going on like 15 years. (laughs) (laughs) And and my office is lovely. Um, I'm a professor at the Borough Manhattan Community College, and I'm the author of three books of poems and the editor of one anthology. Wonderful. Hi, Marion. Hi, it's Marion Ren here with greetings from Abu Dhabi, where it's eight o'clock at night at my kitchen table with my kooky cat and my cuckoo clock. Um, and it is so hot and humid here. It's staggering. Um, it really does feel like, like you're in a terrarium. Um, and so I have very, very much deep and, and enduring sympathy for that cold that you have going from sweat to air conditioning, sweat to air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> but be that as it may, I'm here and I can't wait to hear 
what we have to say about the work tonight. So yay. Yay. Um, okay. So uh, for new listeners and to remind everyone else, you can follow along with these poems on our podcast pages at pbq.drexel.edu. Um, if you'd like to read them first, listen, read them later, whatever you'd like, they're available to you. Um, today, we're going to read two poems by Sarah Gutkowski. So, you know, these are long prose poems and they're a suite. Uh, we cannot possibly read the entire suite to you. So we've chosen two to discuss this episode and uh, we'll discuss the other off air in a regular editorial meeting and we'll um, keep you posted on the results on that. So um, these are these are really fun and intense and narrative. Uh, and I would love to hear from for me to not read. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Abu Dhabi Cuckoo Club. Yeah. Yeah. So long. What great timing on the Cuckoo Club. Cuckoo, you know what? And it, it couldn't be more perfect. The Cuckoo Clock's chiming, my cat's talking to it, and I would love to read this poem. <laughs> perfect. So this is called um, Chapter Six. Uh, the Children Have a Request. The season stretched itself thin, weakened by storms and heat. Inside the damp, shadowy space of the children's fort, the woman with the frog tongue wove baskets and bowls with tight interlocked laces while her silk stitches began to fray and lengthen. The gap between her lips widened to where the children could see the white of her teeth. They stared at her, sometimes... She saw them clench their jaws and try to speak to each other without moving their mouths. Before long, they'd begin to laugh, and she'd shake with relief at the sound. Then one day, when the trees broke into glittering shards of gold and red and green, and light spun pinwells above their heads as they walked together between the falling leaves, the girl looked at the woman and asked if she had a name. At this, the woman jerked to a stop. The old surge, the impulse to speak that rose within her belly and chest overwhelmed. She wanted the girl and boy to know her name. Her tongue rolled tightly and barred from moving inside its cage, strained against her teeth and cheeks, contorting her face with its rage. The boy stepped back when he saw the change on the woman's face. The girl moved closer, though, to pat the hand she held like she might a frightened kitten or skittish fallen bird. Let's guess your name, she said. The woman's jaw fell slack, as much as the stitches allowed. Her panic passed away. The boy saw her relax and began to hop around. A game, a game, he chanted. Across her eyes, the sun sliced its blade, and though her vision bled with its light, she felt cheered by the girl's hand and the boy's excitement. Aurora, Jezebel, Serafina, guessed the girl. Her brother laughed and grabbed a fallen branch, whacking the moss-covered roots of the trees surrounding them. The woman laughed too, short bursts of air through her nose. Her happiness shocked them all. The boy laughed again, a raucous sound, and she looked the girl in the eye. A curve tested her mouth's seams, more grimace than grin. But the girl smiled back and sighed with some relief. Then she reached toward the woman and pulled her close until they were cheek to cheek. The girl's face, cold and smooth, smelled of moss and earth. Her brother lashed and whipped with vigor into the air. The woman with the frog tongue hugged the girl loosely as if those little shoulder blades were planes of cloud. A shifting mist she could see and feel between her arms, but couldn't collect or hold or keep for her very own. The girl stepped back, yet kept her hands by the woman's face. Her small, thin fingers hovered before the fraying threads. Why don't you take these out? She asked as she touched each ragged end. 
At this, the boy stopped his joyful assault of the trees and ran to see for himself what they discussed each night when walking home. Her muffled, choking, choked murmurings, the gray lattice unraveling across her mouth. He peered closely at each loose stitch, searching beyond her lips for whatever monster they'd locked so poorly inside. He found no monster, just a hint of pink tongue. So he shrugged, said, yes, and spun on his heel to resume his game. The girl jumped up and down, shouting, and then you'll tell us your name. The woman watched the boy whip tree roots free of moss, the tuft spinning into the air and separating, becoming dust. The dark green spores like beaks of birds that plummet toward the rocky earth without fear. She watched the girl's hair lift and fly away from her head, the wind dividing its strands, the way it hung, suspended like dust in the sun, then sank like spores, a sudden drop. She worked her mouth from side to side and by degrees opened her lips enough to burble a sound that said, maybe. Wow, that was, that was a lot of work. Thank you, Marion. Oh, you know what? That was super fun to read. I felt yeah. like I was reading a children's story to a library full of kids. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It was, it was really very, very beautifully done. You read with great um, intensity and, and uh, yeah, what, what a fun, fun thing to be immersed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really dense. I mean, it's, it's amazingly dense. I, I kept, I kind of wanted to ask you guys about the form. Um, because I felt like, you know, these, these sort of re- these really big stanzas with these really long lines, it was so, it was really hard. I mean, and some of it is, I think my own problem where like, you know, I just have to read so much that I get used to reading quickly Yeah, and I have to read slowly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but there's also a way in which the poem was kind of making itself even denser. Like it, like in using that form, it was kind of like, like this would be much easier to read as a story that was double spaced or much easier to read in kind of smaller stanzas with smaller lines. And I kind of wanted to ask what you guys thought about that decision to kind of keep this, this really kind of dense demanding piece. Uh, You know what? Let me jump in and say, I think for me, that's part of the surprise of the poem, because when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, this is going to be really tough. Right. And is this is this going to be one of those poems that means to be a short story, but just doesn't realize it's meant to be a short story, which we often see in in some of the slush pile stuff. But I think the surprise of this is the craft of this density and the universe that gets created in these these really like sort of robust, you know, nine line stanzas that are full of this rich, you know, very specific language that, that frankly slows you down. Like it forces yeah. you to read it slowly. So I, it's doing this whole thing with my, my sense of time and attention and that I really loved. I really loved that experience. Yeah. And it never got boring either, which is such a feat for a long poem. I always find when I'm reading them aloud or listening to them, sometimes my mind will wander, but my attention was kept the whole time, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. I love both of your use of attention because I, I think that's exactly it. Uh, Jason, I'm sh- I think I kind of lost the question that you asked, though. Could you see this in a different form? I, I don't think I could. I mean, I kind of, I, I actually really like the, what what I'm calling difficulty. And I, I don't think it's actually that difficult. I think it's just like my bad attention span. Um, <laughs> I kept picking this up, I sort of kept putting it down and kept going back to it. And I actually really respect the fact that it wouldn't let me read it until I was going to read it on its own terms. Yes. Like, okay, yeah. Um, that, that it really insisted on me, you know, really doing nothing else but going at the pace it wanted me to go and paying attention to what was happening because the story was also so weird, right? I mean, it's kind of taking these really familiar tropes, but, you know, I... I I, I say to my student, a lot of times my students will see me speed reading because, you know, like I took a speed reading class and you can do that where you um, 
you know, you have like your fingers in a little line, you just go across the page really fast. But I always say to them, you can only do that if you know, if you already know what you're going to be reading. The minute anything surprises you or the minute something is saying something to you that you didn't expect it to say, you can't speed. You have to slow down. And so that was like, I'm not saying that I want it to be in a different um, structure, but I'm I'm really, I I just really want to like kind of talk about the demand that it makes in in a positive way. Like, I mean, I don't want to say demanding or difficult as negative qualities of literature. I kind of want to talk about those as positive qualities of literature, but also ones that like, I'm not confronted with as much as, you know, when I was an undergraduate and I didn't have a television and I didn't read the news and there was no social media. And, you know, every day what I was, what I was really focused on was like kind of dense, heavy literature and my attention span was built around that. And now when I'm like, you know, switching back and forth between emails and, you know, I have a meeting that I have to be at in an hour and I've put together a mail merge so that I can have people sign out, you know, like I just, I have like logistics brain right Uh now and I have Uh email brain and I have social media brain and I really respect this poem for kind of not letting me bring those brains for saying, you know, until you get back into your Faulkner brain, brain, like I will not yield to you. Yeah. That is a great way to talk about it. Did you really start to read the poem and then realize it wasn't a good time and get out? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like I had this on my desk for like a week and every time I picked it up, I would just start like freaking out about, you know, other things <laughs> on the list. And yeah. it was just like, I can't, I can't do this now. I can't do right. this now. I can't, right. I can't give you this kind of attention. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was actually like really... It was, I mean, I, I, I was in the wrong spaces. Like, right, I mean, right. I really didn't have to be in, I don't know, like a library or like, you know, just well, there. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear you talk about it in this way, because I think that was part of my grabby pleasure in reading it. And I'm so glad I got to read it because I think it's also playing with the, this sort of false binary between literacy, liter- like literacy and orality, right? Like, this is such a, a poem for the page, but Lord, reading it out loud reminds me of the joy of telling a story to a group of people. Like yeah. it feels like a scary story. It's meant to be told aloud, read aloud, like a, a sort of children's you know, image book, something that you read as a bedtime story, but that is an oral experience, right? And I mean, you know, both you know, oral O with and AU, like it's, it's in your ears as much as it's, you know, out of my mouth. And that's the, I think that's part of the specialness of this too, because that does feel like a different brain to bring right to our mediated lives, you know? Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, let's lift the veil even further on our process. Marion and I discussed whether or not these would work on a podcast. Yeah. We were already really respecting the work, really getting into the work, you know, having a little bit, we call our side meetings Klingon council. <laughs> we were having a wee, a wee bit of Klingon council. Did I say too much, Mayor? That our dark. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> with double doctor and I have never succeeded. <laughs> well, we were a little trepidatious about hearing them, but that reading you just gave really was fabulous. I think our, you know, listeners, please let us know how it went for you. I feel like um, if uh, I was driving or commuting or walking or anything else I do when I listen to podcasts, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would have just been, you know, right in there with you and hanging on every word. Yeah. But that's, you know what, I'm so glad you, you reminded us of that, that, you know, debate, right. Which was, would this work at all on a podcast? And it's one of several poems that are quite lengthy. What do we do? What do we do? So this really is an experiment, right. And it's, and it's, I'm, I'm loving the way that it's, it's calling to question, you know, stage, page, morality, literacy, time, attention, like it's, it's moving across these communicative issues and also told a really creepy monstrous story. I mean, like my goodness, this woman's face, her lips are stitched, stitched shut and there's a frog tongue in there. 
right? Like what? About the frog tongue. What do we think of the frog tongue? I was wondering, like, what the metaphor of all? Yeah, this me is. too. Because like, I, like, on some level, I think it brings her as in as like a, a creature rather than yeah. like a human. So I think it's just the way her tongue is. She's she's just descriptive. She's weaving and she's just doing these sort of uh, subconscious automatic flits with her tongue that look kind of creepy, but it's oh. not. Is there like a... Oh, you think there isn't a frog tongue? No, it's just the way she's flipping her tongue, the way oh. she's busy with their hands and their bodies doing these other things. Uh, but do you think okay, why is her mouth so yeah. shut? If it's not to keep that frog tongue in. Because she's got smoking wrinkles and she's just tight-lipped and just her mouth is just oh you're reading that as a metaphor as well yeah i don't find the stuff like stitched lips and stuff don't creep me out or anything i think it's just it it just kind of turns me off what if it's her real face making these sort of grotesque shapes well because people do that like when guitar players play they don't (laughs) I don't realize the faces they make. Sure. They just make like, it. Like, right. like, like dancing. Some of them do. So then. No. Ah! <laughs> no, it's all, I, mean, I grew up around guitar players. You, you just make stupid. I mean, like you can exaggerate it. But like if you're sitting around the house, a, fr- a guy I used to play with used to make these weird sort of robot faces. And he was, <laughs> oh, he was making them, but he used to really creep me out. Dinosaurish and would his yeah. mouth would twitch. Was Dinosaur like, robot? Yeah. yeah. Okay, wait, stop, stop, Tim, please. I can't I can't see you and I'm not I'm not in the room, but could you could you please make whatever face you're making like for the ladies? Yeah, he would, he would, he would breathe and he becomes kind of staccato and you go like Oh, okay. That's, oh, that's really would you do that on a video? <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah. Post it along. I, so I think we're calling this, this. What this episode is? Dinosaur robot now, right? The dinosaur <laughs> robot episode. Yeah, it's the dinosaur robot episode. Wait, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. But I, 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 yeah. If someone wants I, to see the frog frog tongue, you know, I mean, it's their business. That's their. I mean, I. It's what I see, and I think I think there's enough in here for someone to have. To, to have two different images sure which is which is nice you guys isn't there a line in there that she stitched her own mouth closed mm. i i feel no uh, but she asked why don't you take these out the little girl asked her why don't you take these no out? image for me ever got boring faster than the lip stitches really yeah. really um, Huh. That was yeah. the best image to me. Oh, she yeah, locked. I, I, I found it. it. I liked it once. And then the second time I was like, snore. The next to the last stanza, smack in the middle, he peered closely to each loose stitch, searching beyond oh, her yeah, lips for whatever monster she'd locked. She locked so poorly. So poorly inside. inside. So she oh, did. Oh, you're right. Her own mouth shut. All right. So I get it. Like, so she has all these secrets or she has all these ugly things inside of her. So she sits her mouth shut so that she can never open up to somebody and the kids. Yeah, I still don't see the stitches. Uh, <laughs> I see the stitches. That's so funny. So I, but I think Tim, you're right. I think that there's like like some spaciousness in the poem for multiple readings, right? But I, yeah. I, I come down on it. I think it's a little bit more on the magical realism side. Like I, I am believing in a frog tongue stitched up in there, like an actual thread stitches, not the sort of cigarette pucker, which I totally get, right? Like, like I get the, now that you've described it that way, right. That it's sort of like, you know, those, those sort of um, like vertical wrinkles in a mouth, right. That makes it look mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's just, I get that, that would work. But if this feels a little bit more like a fable and a little magical realistic to me, um, Marion, you know what I'm, I'm thinking about is that we read the whole suite before we. I know that's uh, true. I'm, so I'm thinking I'm bringing a little more knowledge, right? I'm, I'm bringing feeling a little, like yeah. if you read the whole quote-unquote story of it, yeah, narrative of yeah. it, you might have different feelings. So wait, wait, wait. When he opens her lips, he found no monster, just a hint of pink tongue in the second to last stanza. So I guess it's not a frog tongue? Or well, we don't know yet. He's still just looking inside from, he's still just going like that. Right, right? you see the pink tongue though. Right, but it could still, it she's could still, still some shot. It could still be rolled up. Oh, you're right, you're right. Right? Okay. She's not released yet. 
Yeah. But you know what? It's so funny. Like I like the, the uncertainty now. I didn't, I, at first I was really wanting to push against Tim saying, Oh no, no, it totally has to be a monster tongue up in there. But no, like maybe, maybe there is a little like, and maybe that's part of the strength of the problem that it's actually doing, you know, I don't know, like bringing both, both of those possibilities together. Huh. Kids also see things sometimes with a little bit of magic realism. I mean, yeah. I saw things when I was a kid when I grew up, I think. I, you know, I have to totally revise what I saw or think. Of course, I grew up in Alabama. <laughs> but you know what? I, I want to jump in and go. So I think it was Lauren or Caitlin. You were talking about the this female character that she is. Um, what did you call her? That she's a creature? Yeah. I just thought, Can like, you say more about that? Yeah. Well, I just got like the imagery of like you know i was getting like a frog and she kind of like jumps around her movements are jerky and um i don't know maybe like a like like frankenstein type of creature was what i was like like kind of i don't know i can see that with the mouth stitches right and then just like the jerkiness and like the i don't know it seemed like i'm imagining some sort of like tim burton-esque right yeah Yeah. doesn't she have a good heart she's a nice lady this lady this lady's a nice lady yeah she loves hearing the kids laugh look like that without being right right (laughs) okay i'm just saying i don't think she's protecting them from her monstrosity right right yeah there's this weird way in which like this goes back and forth between i mean in most fairy tales children are in danger right like that's right right. fairy tales a child is in danger um and this is kind of moving back and forth with you know, the sort of witch figure doing work to protect the children who are kind of interested in the monstrosity that lies inside her. Right, right. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead, babe. No, I was just going to say that, um, which, you know, this the, the duality of that position, right, that she's, you know, sort of um, witch and protector, right, monster and protector or human like you know it, it, like pulling Tim's point into this what do you make of that last line then? you know that her answer to them is maybe yeah that's um I wanted to go there next that's exactly where I was gonna go I don't like that last to end on that word that bugs me a lot feels very much like a ending like Honestly, again, this wasn't work once you're in it, but like when I, when I was same thing, Jason, I had the poem for a while, Marion found them, read these poems. Every time I went to, it wasn't a good time because I couldn't give them a, a speed read. I had to really hunker in. So I put this, I, I keep using the wrong word. It didn't feel like labor, but you know, I settled down, I give it this time. And then my, my, joke at the end is maybe like that's what i get that's my payoff bugged me yeah how did so i wait did can, I can you, can you say, just say more about that like why does it feel like a joke or what like why yeah why does maybe bug you because the whole thing was trying to get this woman to say something the whole piece mm-hmm. and then what she finally says is maybe it just seemed lame to be honest like a lame bum. Right. You know, I didn't see yeah. it that way. I mean, I thought it was because I, I think that, right, when, whenever I'm talking about ambiguity to students, my point is that ambiguity is not, it's open ended, that ambiguity is about multiple positions that cannot settle, right? That right. can always be these multiple things. And so I, I kind of enjoyed the maybe as a kind of signal of the ambiguity is that there are like multiple ways to read this piece and that the, the, that this figure isn't even really sure why this is all happening. That like, even though she's in control and she could take out the stitches, but doesn't, um, there, there remains this kind of um, inability to settle into what that means. So let me ask just a quick question. If it's going to be ambiguous and it's going to end with a maybe, I don't know the answer to this, but it would it be possible to lop off that last stanza and then say, and then you'll tell us your name because that also implies that perhaps she's, the answer is still going to be maybe. I was thinking something like that. Or, or I was thinking of taking no, it all the way up to, no. uh, wait, no. I was thinking of taking it all the way to verbal of sound. And by de- she worked her mouth from side to side and by degrees 
opened her lips enough to burble a sound. I put the same thing, Kathy. I crossed out that said maybe. And yeah, yeah. burble a sound. We still don't know what she said, do we? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I, listen, I, I totally respect the, the impulse to cut it, but I, I would disagree. And I, and the, I do because of everything that Tim pointed out that if this, if there, if there's confusion that this is a human woman with wrinkles or a, a creature slash witch, right. Then that, that ambiguity, like the, that the possibility is dual and it's in the piece The whether she's protecting these kids or she's going to harm these kids, it's, you know, it's a little creepy and potentially both things, right? So the, the, the maybe is actually sitting right in the center of those possibilities. And imagine your mouth stitched shut and what can you say? Try to say maybe. It actually works in your mouth. Uh, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, I just don't I, need to go all the way to maybe. Just verbal a sound gives it everything Jason asked for in the ambiguity part. Well, Marianne, and his last like, I don't like that she's yeah. in this warm... Maybe this is part of it. She's been warm and enjoying these kids and playing a game where they're guessing her name and then teases them at the end. Hmm. You know, it's kind of mean to go, maybe, maybe I'll tell you, maybe I won't. I didn't read her as warm necessarily. I read her more as like creepy. Yeah, creepy. <laughs> Ambiguous. Like, yeah. I don't know. She's hanging out. They're touching her. But they feel comfortable hugging her, putting their hands on her face. I don't think she can be so creaturey. I think mm. as you guys. Well, she says like slack jaw and then like the part short bursts of air through her nose. That makes me think of a horse. Like, mm-hmm. like she when she's talking about like her, she doesn't get a mouth. Right, but well that was her that was her laugh was like short bursts of air through the nose and like that just gave me the image of like horse so that darling her that mouth is so shy. I understand when I'm you laugh go, ha, 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 with your moido <laughs> <laughs> so wait listen all, all I'm trying to say is usually I'm down with like cutting if we need like extra like extra, extraneous stuff extra stuff that doesn't serve the poem I actually can see how the poet would make the case that maybe actually serves the ideas in this poem, right? And especially if she is in any way monstrous, right? And if monsters are, you know, not just like border crossers, but people like the, the creature that lives in the middle of shit, right? Like in in the that no man's land of the boundary, that's the maybe, right? So I, I, I just yeah. So that's my two cents. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What she reminds me of, like what we were talking about, Lauren was saying about the ambiguous nature of her, not necessarily good or bad. I think that's what you were implying. Um, I'm thinking about like you know in like despicable me how he like doesn't really want these kids but they're still there and he kind of warms up to them like that's what i'm imagining you know what i mean like she yeah not, well that's okay yeah but i don't think she's <laughs> maybe fits her. she's like maybe like she still doesn't want to be like necessarily like this warm person but she also is starting to open up herself even though she's had her mouth sewn shut all these years i still don't think the mouth is some shut i think yeah <laughs> look grotesque and even the grandmother yeah. like, you look at her sometimes you stand and look at her face you think what happened to her <laughs> 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 and then, and then, no and i then really like the image of like cigarette lips that you said that's the difference between someone who's 80 and five is 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 tremendous okay so i i think um and i think they're bizarre and they're kind of distant and I think she's, I, I don't dislike the last paragraph and I don't necessarily dislike maybe I I'm okay with her toying with him, but I just think there's the poem. What I'm seeing in it is this, is the distance between the playfulness of kids and the playfulness of adults. I mean, of, of elderly and how different they are, but how sometimes they still work. Sometimes, sometimes they don't work. Cause usually you have a, nice grandmother and a mean grandmother sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the nice grandmother's game for it and she sits there and toys with the kids the other one you know yeah listen just get off their lawn i've been trying really hard to not say this and we don't have you know all the time in the world we do have to read a second poem um but i have to put this in the mix i think there's a chance she's not real at all well well she's inside their fort yeah weaving baskets why do they imagine this 
They're, why would they imagine? Why wouldn't they yeah, imagine? Why they imagine this there was no internet oh, wow. at the time. So I like it a lot more. Actually. <laughs> Inside the children's court. I'm serious. This is not what I imagined. This is a child. Then her mouth can't you. be stitched, and you she can't. Maybe <laughs> she can do both. Because if it's not, if she's not real, then she can say maybe with a stitched mouth. Right. Yeah. yeah, she's in the shy face of the try to say just try to say maybe with your mouth closed. <laughs> <laughs> I do it every day. <laughs> um, you guys, do you think we should read, even though we don't have all of them, should we read the second one and get more of a sense of the of the tone and the woman and, and all of these things? Yeah. Yeah, I think we should. I was wondering what the strategy was gonna be. I think that's actually a good one for this project. Okay. Yeah. Um Lauren is Lauren is uh dying to read it, if that's cool. Go Lauren. Go Lauren. Okay. All right. Chapter seven, she grows a second heart. That night, she woke to find another oddity. During sleep, her heart had split or twinned itself, and where one muscle pumped before, now beat two. Her blood coursed through her veins twice as fast as before, and over those paths, her skin buzzed and stammered like wire strung tautly between two poles and charged with load. As if she'd run for miles across rolling hills, as if inside her chest two fists beat, time all day beneath the bone she sped at death in the most alive way the day crawled while her two hearts raced above the fire she set a series of clocks to ticking she watched the flames sometimes leaning close enough to feel the heat singe her stitches a deeper shade their fibers scorching until they curled like dark frost spilling from her mouth but when her hearts began to flicker more and faster than she could stand, she turned her eyes to the clock's marked faces and drew comfort from the secondhand's neurotic twitch. Every minute witnessed meant another minute lived. Beneath her breastbone, her strange second heart pulsed harder. She sensed the muscle like her tongue would leap and fly away from her body if her body let it go. She took the silver-handled knife and incised a cross above the cavity where her hearts ballooned together, jostling for room and dominance. The flaps of skin, pale as eggshell, trembled slightly. A head appeared. A bird with obsidian eyes emerged wet with her blood, shook to shed its burden, and leapt toward the rafters above. She watched the bird and felt air seep into the space it left behind her single heart unrivaled but lonely in its great room. The wound bled slowly, healing fast to a pale silver scar, flaps falling back to close neatly over the bone, which laid itself again like lines of track or scaffolding across her chest. The bird flew to the windowsill and ticked its head to look back at the woman. A slight breeze, cool and calm, caressed its dark wings, and it leapt for the steady branch of that arm. Waza, thank you. Nice reading. Nice reading, Lauren. Really well done. So now what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> the children aren't even in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a sucker for things like the multiverse. So mm -hmm. poems about someone growing a second heart is kind of sort of down with that. <laughs> start. And the idea of... Wait, what does that mean, Tim Fitz? What does that mean? <laughs> well, I guess I see this... I'm, I'm looking at these poems through this lens of this person who's, who's uh, old. And as I, as I age, I find myself sort of having these two different minds where I think of all the things that I wanted to do and all the things that I've done mm. and all these different patterns. And I feel like, um, and I also hear stories about when people pass away of old age that sometimes they pack their bags or they, my, my wife's grandmother, before she passed away, she wouldn't eat for the last three days and said that they were coming for her. And these, these types of things where, again, I don't see this as literal. I see just this, this sort of uh, pre-death almost as if her, uh, her self passes away. And um, the, the, what's left is this shell in a way. So I, lo I love all that stuff. And I don't know if that's just me, but 
the, the stitches, is this the face stitches again? Because I, I just, I, I hate it. I can't describe it. I face <laughs> and it's a turnoff. So the whole point, the rest of the poem, I'm just saying, forget the face stitches. But I like the, I don't think it is, but. So I see these like two selves inside the one self. And I like that idea of these uh, multiple people inside, single people. My God. What, what was the sigh? Because I'm thinking about that night she woke to find another oddity. Like this poor woman went to bed one night and woke up with a frog tongue the next morning. And so she had to stitch her mouth closed. Mm. Now she went to bed and she woke up with two hearts. Mm. Well, one of them is a bird that she can release. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still see the frog tongue. Is, I find it. I find that sometimes people's words when they get older mean less. If they, I mean, sometimes, I mean, a lot of time grandparents are just, I mean, I'm from Florida where they stick them away in these homes with these mm. boxes filled with old people and they just treat them like children. They, you see all the activity boards at the nursing homes. It's like, learn how to read. And they treat them like children and there's cartoons and sing-alongs. And uh, uh, we were visiting a, a friend of ours in a nursing home last year. And this woman sat in the corner of the room screaming, get me out of here. But her voice was so raspy. It was just like, get me out of here. Get me out of here. And like, no, nobody would pay any attention to her. The, the orderlies, the nurses, they just, and I kept thinking she's probably been doing that for 20 years. You know, just sitting there and, and no one will do anything about it. I mean, you might, I might have said to the orderly, maybe can someone take her back to the room? And then ah, she always says that. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like the frog tongue is just how when people hear that it's people's view of old people, sometimes of just some useless being, that's not saying how I view them, but as society views them. Yeah. I mean, it's horrific to think of that's where we're all going. That's, I mean, that's not the metaphor I would have read the poem with, but I, I mean, I think that that works in like the larger scheme of things. I was going to say that I, in a lot of ways, I like um, chapter seven for being so contained that, mm -hmm. you know, unlike uh, chapter, sorry, what chapter was it? Um, chapter, unlike chapter six, which seems to be kind of like to start in media res and then to end kind of like with the story still continuing. Um, chapter seven is a much more, you know, kind of like start to finish story that really is self-contained. But I, I really like the way the bird, um, the, the way the heart becomes the bird and is escaped. I, I, thought it was a, I mean, I think you can read it as Tim is reading it. I think it works as a metaphor for that, but I think it works as a metaphor for a lot of other things too. Yeah, and I, I like poems that... So my background is fiction, and I'm wired for that, for fiction. So when I read a poem like this, I like poems that let me build a story around it and have a really firm foundation. And then a poet can read it from their point of view. So poems that allow for a number of different types of reading, I think, are, are things that I try to teach in my creative writing classes. And this is what we want to shoot for, or something we, we should shoot for. You know, you, I'm thinking, I'm looking at this and seeing something I didn't see before. What's amazing is this, let's talk about it like it's real for a second. This shit happens to her, like she wakes up with a frog tongue and she, <laughs> and she seals her own mouth closed. And my read on that is because, you know, a frog goes, <laughs> right? And she doesn't want to be doing that, right. right? So she cuts herself to release this heart. You know, like that's really fascinating too. She's like, she's very um, strong in, in ways, right? She's, this yeah. shit goes down and she manages it yeah. as best she can. This insane stuff is happening to her. Yeah, like she's that's tight. the metaphor I would be reading about. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that is how I saw the, the poems, that, you know, this mm -hmm. woman is sort of confronted over and over again with these um, monstrous developments. And I, I certainly find parts of myself monstrous. Um, and I love the physicalization of them. Mm -hmm. I think um, I just saw something interesting. Tim was talking earlier about 
Um, didn't you mention like the birds and the clocks? Did you say something about that? No, I'm making that up. Maybe mm-hmm. I maybe thought you were thinking those. Maybe things. I was already thinking that. Um, but you said something about it being imagined and in different times. That's what it was. You were talking about right uh, the two the two ways of thinking right yes and so i was connecting that with the clock imagery and then down uh in the last stanza the bird flew to the windowsill and ticked its head i think Uh that ticked is like significant there so maybe that's like the you know that is the whatever incarnation of her like you know whatever wishes of another time or or a, a different way that it could have been right like every minute witnessed met another minute lived with the time again mm. right mm-hmm. how about that it left for the steady branch of that arm mm-hmm. does it fly back into her does it fly back into the room and land on her arm I, I don't know because there hasn't been a tree yet right no I, I, I looked and looked for the tree right three yeah. outside the window and we don't ever call or branches arms, do we? Or that arm, like a like. I think you could call finger. branches arms, but I still think that it's hers. Like I, I, I underlined it. The bird does come back. Yeah. Huh. And the the personifications of the clock faces earlier. Yeah. I feel like that's what they're playing on at the end. Okay, does that help us at all? <laughs> does reading seven help us with six? What, uh, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because one is very open-ended and the other is, is really self-contained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd like to, I, I'm curious about the whole. Yeah, now I want to read the series. After, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll have to see won't we? <laughs> how, how much of this we'll be sharing with you. How many chapters is it? Chapter one to. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think it. we have all of it right oh, there. We don't? Okay. No, we don't. We have like a selection of them. And it's really funny how this worked out too. She submitted for the monsters issue. Um, and uh, she's like, you know, included a couple of the poems in the batch, if, if I recall, of her original submission. And then as we were putting the podcast together, I asked, you know, would you happen to have more of these? And I think maybe one or two had been accepted elsewhere. Um, and then she sent us more from the suite. And, and I can remember at our Klingon Council meeting in Philadelphia at a happy hour, um, being hey. sort of sta- staggered by the flow, like, like one next to the other, next to the other, next to the other. I really would, I, I, my hope was to hear what I just heard, which was this great group of minds thinking about the sense these poems are making. Theories and the universe that she was creating through these long narrative poems. Um, and, and, you know, poems like the one that we just read. So they're in, you know, separate chapters. Um, so the question for us is, you know, do we want to publish them? If we do, do we want to publish several of them? Um, and how to go about making that decision? Right. I definitely think they're stronger together. I agree. Yeah. Um, I like the first poem, but I liked it better once I had read the second. I think three or four is the sweet spot. It's like the uh, sonata form. <laughs> three or four movements and... Move on. <laughs> Call it a day. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So we're. It sounds like we're leaping right into saying that. Are are we doing these one at a time? Are we going to say we? How are we doing the voting part, Mayor? I know that's the the, the cookie part. So let's, let's talk about it as Klingons talk about these things. Um, We could vote on the pair here. We could vote on them individually. Um, And I don't know how to do it. (laughs) I'm guessing you can't vote with or without the face stitches. Uh, no, they're in there. They're 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 too interwoven. That's but um, that's a great pun. That's a great pun. But do you do? You, I think there's a little more love for seven than six. So I would say let's vote on seven, and then let's vote on six. Okay. okay. All right. Thanks for taking control there, Jason. Here we go. One, two, three. Vote. Sorry. We're waiting for. 
Okay, so it is not unanimous, but it's in. Yeah, it's almost unanimous. All right, so fabulous. Uh, congratulations, Sarah Kukowski, on getting in. She grows a second heart. And now let's vote on the children have a request. Are we ready? One, two, three, vote. <laughs> and again, not unanimous, but in. Almost <laughs> unanimous. Ah. All right, so we have two for sure, and we'll cling on the others that we have and see if we hit that sweet pot of three or four. And, and these um, are for monsters, right? We're putting this in the monsters. Yes, we are putting this in the monsters issue. Yeah. Although the more I spend time with this lady, the less I think she's a monster. I think freaky shit happens. It's a Lauren Nightfall monster. Freaky shit happens. Is it doesn't happen with every monster you spend time with? Well, like, I think like, that's true. Like, like, like Grover's a monster or Elmo's a monster, and that's the whole point of their monsters. I'm going to start bringing home stray monsters. It's <laughs> 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 a monster, they're no longer. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> if somebody's going to start leaping into that song, Tales Old as Time, isn't that Beauty and the Beast? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking Edward Scissorhands, but Edward <laughs> Caitlin, that's awesome. <laughs> really going cool. it, it is. That's what they remind me of. You should make these into a movie. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Um, well, okay then. I think I think we're we're good. We did it. Thank you everybody for being here and well done. Thanks, huh? our, thanks to our listeners for listening. Anybody have anything to say before I do our sign off spiel? Can I can I interject something? Of course. Sound engineer. Uh, <laughs> haven't you read The Dark Tower by Stephen King? Yes. Yes. Is it more Dark Tower or is it more Sound and Fury? Well, um, it's, I'm, it I'm thinking of more Dark Tower. <laughs> what, Mayor? Sorry. I, it's, it's funny, Joe, you said that. I think that's a great continuum, right? Like, like at one end, is it Faulkner? At the other end, is it, is it the Dark Tower? I think it's more like Dark Tower, yeah. right? I think it's going in that direction. I think that's, but, but I love that it's a question, right? Like, so, you know, depending on the, the number of, of the poems that we publish, like representing the, the universe that she's creating, I wonder what the reader's going to think. Are they going to think, right, Dark Tower or, or Faulkner? Hmm. Sorry, it's just popped in. No, that's great. There <laughs> um, you go, Joe. Right, right. Maybe that's the title for this episode. Um, <laughs> all right, thanks to our listeners for listening. Remember, go to the corresponding Facebook event page and tell us what you think about this episode. Write us directly if you'd like about anything at all. Um, we're thinking about some upcoming upcoming episodes, and one of them could be answering your questions. Okay, yeah. Extra, so feel free to ask away. Um, and remember, the work we discussed today is available for you to view on our website, pbq at drexel.edu. Send us a Sazy, and we'll send you a self-addressed stamped envelope. Ask your grandparents what a Sazy is. Um, subscribe <laughs> <laughs> to our podcast, rate us, and keep reading. Thank you. <laughs> Yay.